Amen. Well, it's good seeing you guys. And uh, yes, we are continuing our series uh, in Esther. I've been covering a lot of different uh, individuals in the book. So I've covered several different characters, but today I want to talk about Esther herself. And I'm excited because she really is the hero of this story. Her and Mordecai, her uncle, or not uncle, I guess cousin. But I want to begin by asking this question because a lot of people ask this. Maybe you've asked it, whether directly or not. Have you, anybody here ever wonder, why am I here on this earth? Why did God put me here? Why did he create me? And uh, it's so funny because we look for these big defining moments in our life that will say, this is why you're here. We're, we look for that. And we think of people like uh, Martin Luther King Jr. at his I Have a Dream speech. How many of you know that was a pivotal uh, time in his life? I mean, God used that in great ways and still uses it. It's like people still read the words of that speech and it's having an effect, what, 40, 50 years later. So uh, another one, Abraham Lincoln. Boy, that was uh, when he signed the Emancipation Proclamation. How many of you know that was earth-shaking at that time? That was a defining moment and and probably led to his uh, getting assassinated. Uh, But you know what? The effect of him doing that was worth it. I'm I'm sure if he would say, it's like, you know what? It was worth it. It was worth it. Another one that I think about is uh, Neil Armstrong when he walked on the moon. Some of you guys remember that, right? who, Who actually remembers seeing that on TV? I saw it when I was on TV, but I don't remember it. But my mom, who's probably watching, uh, she woke us up. I was four years old, and she's like, you're going to watch this. This is amazing. And I'm probably like, well, I just want to go back to sleep, right? Where's the cartoons? So uh, that was a defining moment in our nation, wasn't it? Uh, another one that I think about is when you've held your first child or first grandbaby, uh, because that's fresh in my mind. Uh, how many of you know those are defining moments right there? And you think about maybe, maybe you were in a service sometimes and you sense God speaking to your heart, maybe to go into ministry. Uh, let me do a flashback in my life. I was 16 years old, uh, close to being 17. This was October 1982. I was going to First Assembly of God Church in Midland, Texas, and I was invited to what was called a memorial concert. And uh, let me just say, I had no idea what that was. All I heard was the word concert, right? Teenager, concert. Yeah, I'm in. Uh, I didn't realize that the memorial meant that somebody died. I understand that now, but I didn't understand it. So I got invited, and it was called, uh, it was a Keith Green Memorial Concert. Any of you guys remember Keith Green? Some of you guys right there, I mean, he's like this hippie, you know, Afro hair going on there. And uh, he, uh, he died with some of his kids, other people in a plane crash earlier in 1982. Uh, by that fall, they were doing these memorial concerts, going around on a big screen, projecting his last thing that he did. It was at uh, here in California. I can't even remember what it was called. Anyway, it was a big, big outdoor gathering, and they were just showing that video. So I'm like coming to a concert. My first thought was lame. This just got a screen here. And then he gets up there, and yes, he's very much uh, late 70s, early 80s type music. But it was like God began to speak to my heart. And uh, this guy, and I'm not, here's the thing. I wasn't really even fully committed to serving God. I was kind of interested. I was more interested in other things, the reason I was there. But man, I remember that capturing my heart. 
and, and, and getting a hold of who I am, feeling like God was calling me into full-time ministry, and here I am thinking, well, God, I'm not really even serving you that, at this point. Uh, but I just remember that it was so vivid, and, and I even put this up there because you can see that on YouTube. You can go to p- type in Keith Green Memorial Concert. Uh, you can watch it. It's about an hour long, uh, but it, it was a defining moment in my life. For about the next two years, I kind of went back and forth with my walk with Christ, but almost two years to the date, God really got a hold of me. October 1984 wasn't an audible voice, but it almost could have been where I felt like the Lord says, you need to choose, basically stop playing games. Choose today who you're going to serve. Three months later, I found myself at my first semester of Bible college. That was, uh, for me, that was life-changing. And as we begin to look in the book of Esther, maybe you're thinking, you know what? I want a moment like that, right? I- I've never had that. Maybe some of you are like, I've never had that. But let me just say, that's a lot of pressure to put on people to look for this big moment you're looking at that. And this is your first fill in your notes that I want you to get. God moments, they're not just a single moment, but I believe that there are multiple moments strung together over a lifetime of faithfulness to God. Yes, you get to see what I'm going to pull out of my basket here. Sometimes we're looking for that one big, hang on, hold, bear with me as I get this. We're looking for that one moment right? That one, I want to have that moment that you had, Pastor Scott. I want to have that Martin Luther King Jr. moment. Neil Armstrong moment would be pretty cool, right? How many of you agree? Uh, I want to have that time where, like when Paul was knocked, uh, knocked to the ground, right? When God appeared to him, and, and we're looking at that. But like I said, I think that God moments are not always like this. I, th- I don't think that we should be looking for that. As a matter of fact, I think we should be looking. Let me find my plug here. It's all of these little moments that I believe that get strung together that create a lifetime of change. Oh, great. Part of it was out for a second. Oh, there it goes again. Don't you love Christmas lights? Let's, you know, this is the first part of your life where you weren't serving the Lord and uh, nothing was going on, right? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, hey, listen, you got to make this up on the fly, right? Then I gave my life to Christ. So anyway, you just got to roll with it, right? So here's the thing. This, this little light could be simply, you know, not an earth-shattering thing, but it's like somebody new came into church and you just, you greeted them friendly to where they felt like welcome. You know, how many of you know sometimes going into a church is the first time it's like, ah, uh, you know, what's it going to be like? A lot of times churches are friendly, but how many of you know they're just friendly amongst themselves? But that could really change somebody's life. Or maybe you go to the store and you can see the checkout person is not having a good day. Anybody ever been there? And it's like, you know what, just check out my stuff. I want to get out of here. You could do that or you could like, hey, listen, are you okay? Is there anything that I can pray with you about? You have no idea what that might do in somebody's life. That might be something small to you, but big to them. Or maybe somebody's car breaks down and uh, on the side of the road, and you might go, oh, well, thank God that's not me, right? And you keep going, or you're like, hey, listen, I can pull over. How can I help? You know what? Maybe you can't help them in that aspect, but you're like, uh, how can I, uh, uh, maybe I can help pay for that, all right? Maybe I can help. Or maybe you found out somebody was moving, and, you know, I, I say this all the time, but I realize probably everybody hates it. I hate moving, anybody in agreement? Anybody love packing up stuff and putting it? No, nobody likes that. But you know what? If somebody comes along and says, hey, listen, can I help you? 
And, and it's like, yes, <laughs> right? That could be a changing thing in somebody's life. Or, or, or serving, how many of you know serving in our nursery could be that little light to where you allow a mom that may be ragged and hectic through the week to be able to come and service and not have to worry about her kids. That's one of those things like that. Get Buying a cup of coffee for somebody, uh, inviting a neighbor or a, a co-worker or a friend, somebody to church, or this is a very special light. It's actually going to count for two of them. You say, you know what? I want to serve a two-hour shift at our church's booth at the county fair. Right? You like how I worked that one in there right there? Uh, those are important. So what I'm saying is it, you may not have this big moment. Stop looking for that. Just surrender and say, God, I want to have these tiny moments strung out over a lifetime that really makes a difference because you know what happens is that one of your little lights might make a change in somebody else's light to where I'm probably going off camera. Did you see me almost fall? <laughs> to where you light somebody else's up and then they have a string of lights that may go to somebody else and light up their string of lights. Let's see if, oh, they worked, yes. So my lights were the only ones. So that, this was me at like 17 right here. So, and then, <laughs> so here's the thing. I just want you to kind of see that as an illustration that, that God has these moments in your life that so many times we overlook. We think, oh, that's so insignificant. That doesn't really even matter. Uh, but it matters more than you realize. So, uh, yes, we got it nice and pretty up here. And it's not Christmas, right? So, uh, in case you happen to uh, uh, miss the last few weeks, you were, like I said, we're looking at Esther, who had a defining moment. She did have one of these moments right here. But I bet there were some minor moments that led up to that, right? The, the, the fact that she was submitted to her, her cousin who raised her as her own child that she actually listened to him. How many of you know listening to those in authority over you makes a big difference, right? So uh, here's the thing. The whole story of Esther, it's only 10 chapters long. If you haven't read it, it's not too late. Uh, but Esther was raised as an orphan uh, in the home of Mordecai. And the whole, like I said, you can go back over the whole story of it. She ended up getting to be the queen even though she was a Jew in a foreign land. And she kept that hidden. She didn't let anybody know who her, that she was Jewish. And the king, you know, had ordered by trickery, Haman came in and uh, had him sign an edict to kill all of the Jews on a certain date in the future. So her uncle, Mordecai, found about it. She's kind of in the, in the palace. She doesn't know what's going on. And so he sends word like, hey, listen, you've got to do something about this. There's something, Dan, you've got to approach the king and let him know that's not a good thing. You've got to upend that. So we're going to begin today. I want to start with uh, Esther sent a message back to Mordecai saying, hey, listen, I don't know about this. So it's starting in verse 11 of Esther. It says, all the king's officials and even the people in the province know that anyone who appears before the king to his inner court without being invited is doomed to die. Unless the king holds out his gold scepter and the king has not called for me to come in 30 days. Now, let me just say, this is bad on two levels. First of all, if the king doesn't hold out his scepter, then she's done, right? Doesn't seem, sound very fair, uh, but that was what was going on in that kingdom. But the second is that the secret of her nationality would be known. She didn't let anyone. The king had just issued a decree to kill all the Jews, and she's going to let him know, I'm Jewish. So uh, that's a lot of pressure on this young girl. 
She was expected to save her people, but at the potential risk of losing her own life. Like, what am I going to do in that? It, that's a, how many of you realize that's a difficult decision? The order to kill the Jews was signed, and she was the only one in the position to do anything about it. Nobody else had that position. Mordecai didn't have that position. So when, she heard Morde, uh, when Mordecai heard Esther's response, this right here, I don't know if I can do that. If I go in, I'm going to die. Well, uh, naturally, he responded to that. Verse 12. So uh, Hathach gave Esther's message to Mordecai. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Now that's like the most quoted verse out of Esther right there. Like even if you're not following Christ, people have heard that. But he's basically saying, listen, Esther, this is your moment. This is the time. This is the very purpose that God has you here. This is the reason you weren't just naturally beauty. God created you that way so that you would win like that beauty contest, get in that position. It's like God placed her at the right place at the right time. How many of you know God does that for you and I? We think we're just randomly at different locations. Oh, I'm here for this. I'm here for that. No, God has purpose. I don't believe that anybody here is here on accident. I don't believe that anybody that's online watching is watching on accident. God's got purpose behind all of that. We have to understand that. Esther recognized the moment. She knew that God had placed her where she did. And, and that leads me to my first point. We've got to recognize our moments. Recognize those moments. See them as divine purpose and God-given assignments. Don't just think of it as like, oh, I'm just saying hi to somebody. Oh, I'm just inviting somebody to church. Oh, I'm just giving somebody a cup of coffee or whatever it is. Find it, realize that those moments and recognize them. And you may ask, how do I recognize it? How do I know? I mean, wouldn't it be great if you had those God moments and God had big flashing arrows pointing at you saying, this is my moment, this is your moment. Wouldn't you like that? That'd be easy, right? It doesn't happen that way. How do we recognize those moments? Uh, a little subtitle there, live, live a life of immediate obedience. I don't know if you're like me. Sometimes God has told me to do something and then I have a discussion with the Lord. Was that God? Was that me? Was that uh, the pizza that I ate last night? God, are you really talking to me? God, you wouldn't ask, God, you wouldn't ask me to do that. That must just be my flesh. Can I just say, if the Lord, if you ever feel prompted to share the gospel with somebody, that is not your flesh because your flesh is too scared to do that. That is not the devil. He doesn't want you to do that. So guess what? It's God. And listen, if he's showing, telling you to be kind to somebody, don't even question whether it was God or not because that's never a bad thing. All right? That's never a bad thing. So we got to identify that. And listen, I have found that the more I immediately obey, it becomes easier to hear. Right. Haven't you guys noticed that? The more that I delay, the more difficult it is to hear. Your active connection to God is going to help you identify those moments that God is trying to say, hey, listen, I want to use you right here. There's something that I want to do in your life, so we need to obey God every time he puts something in our heart. If he says to speak, guess what? We got to do it. Well, I don't know what to say. Uh, open up your mouth and you watch how God's going to put words in your mouth. All right? He's going to give you the thing to say. If he says to give, guess what? 
You got to give. Somebody's car broke down and it's like a thousand dollars. You're like, how much? Oh God, come on! Is that really? You? No, do it. Be obedient in that. God's going to bless you back. If He tells you to go somewhere, go. If He tells you to stop, stop. Listen, friends, don't miss your moment. Don't miss your moment. I, I think if you practice saying yes every time He says something, <coughs> at the end of your life, you're going to have. You're going to have this lifetime of, of, of lights that God has used you. And like I said, you have no idea what your difference has made to other people. It just continues to go on and on and on. Amen? So here's the thing. On the other hand of that, if we're not actively hearing and obeying God, guess what? We're going to miss our moment. And there's nobody in this room that hasn't missed a few moments. Am I right? I've missed some moments. I, I'm like, oh, man, I'm always obedient. You know, if you ever meet anybody that says they're always obedient, you can say, you know what, you just lied, right? We've all missed it. But here's the thing. If you, if you never listen, if you never obey, you never actively hear, you're going to miss that, and you're going to have a lifetime of missed opportunities. A lifetime of missed. Everything you didn't say, everything you didn't do, every person you didn't point to Jesus, every dollar you didn't give to that mission or whatever it is, every difference that you didn't make. So don't miss your moments. It may seem, here's the thing, whatever God be telling you to do, it may seem ordinary, it may seem mundane, uh, but be open to the possibility that may be the reason you're there, the reason that you happen to be there. Now, I want to tell you this story. In uh, 2010, Haiti, you guys remember Haiti had this horrible earthquake, knocked down all the government buildings and everything. We, I was able to go there a few years after that, uh, but there was a, it was all over the news back then. There was this 12-year-old kid named Blair, and he was watching that, and it was showing videos of some of the kids crying, not having anything, and he was sitting there thinking, you know what, when I'm feeling like that, he goes, I like to have my teddy bear to hang on to. And he's realizing they don't have anything. He's only a 12-year-old kid. And uh, he says, you know what, I'm going to collect up all my bears, went to some of his neighbors, uh, ended up going to his school, telling him, listen, I'm going to try to collect bears and send them to Haiti, and the school was happy to uh, uh, help. Uh, eventually, the radio got a hold of this, and the news got a hold of what he was trying to do, and it began to spread all over the place. Uh, this was a picture of him back, you know, 12 years ago. And uh, because he said, you know what, I want to do something, this is a moment that I want to do it. This, he was 13 years old. He was able to send over 25,000 teddy bears shipped to Haiti. And on top of that, and it was called, you can even look it up, Blair's Bears for Haiti. He, they was able to send 22,000 other teddy bears to other needy kids around the world. And, and I just think, you know what, if a 13-year-old sees an opportunity... Listen, everybody else saw what was going on there, and he's like, I want to do something. I want to do something. I don't want to miss my moment. And, uh, and I guarantee you, after this kid saw himself being... God used him in that way... I don't know what he's been doing since, but I guarantee there's been many other opportunities, many other lights that have happened in his life and will happen in his life. So don't miss your moment. Have people in your life, that's number two, have people in your life that will point you to your moment. It's important. If you just live your life all by yourself and sheltered, uh, how many of you know we're going to miss a lot of opportunities? I, I think of uh, uh, Esther. She didn't know what was going on. She's in the palace. She needed Mordecai to come and say, hey, listen, something's going on that needs your attention. You need, to, you need to realize that this is your moment. And Mordecai, he says, listen, Esther, this is your time. 
Don't miss that. So have people in your life that will speak into your life and point you in the right direction because if you're like any other human being, we kind of get focused on our own stuff, don't we? We start doing my thing. I'm doing my, I'm, I'm just focused there. That's why, you know, having, you know, when we used to have Sunday school, life group leaders, people that are, are spiritually over you uh, to speak into your life. How many of you know just other believers, other Christians can speak into your life? That's why I love this verse out of Hebrews 10. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. How many of you know those good deeds are these little things right here? And what does it mean to spur? Because obviously we understand spur with a horse, right? That makes a lot of sense. But that word really does mean to agitate, right? Anybody ever been agitated? Hey, listen, we need you to serve here. Hey, listen, we need you to do that. Hey, listen, you should forgive that person. Hey, listen, you should tell that person. You talk about your neighbor, you're complaining about your neighbor. Well, have you ever invited him to church? Oh, I have never done that. We need to spur one another on because we don't want to. Sometimes we just don't want to, and we need people in our life to push us to do the things that God has already called us to do. And so it can be anybody that, that, that is following Christ, but you know what? There's another person or people in your life, and uh, that's pastors. Do you know God put pastors in your life not just to preach to you on Sunday morning and, and visit you in the hospital? How many of you know we have more than a purpose? Those of you that think I only work three hours a week, That's not the case. There is more to it. But let me show you in Ephesians 4, it says this. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostle, the prophet, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And it says their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work, his work, and build up the church. It's not just about, hey, listen, the pastor does it all. No, it's our responsibility is to basically another spur you on to do the right thing. And look what the result is. We jump down a couple of verses. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part is doing its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is what? I love these three words, healthy, growing, and full of love. Do you realize that there may be a church that's growing, but that doesn't mean it's healthy? Just be, oh man, there's more people coming. There are some very unhealthy big churches. There's some very unhealthy small churches, right? Uh, What happens, what needs to happen is that there's got to be full of love. I think when that happens, then we need to focus not so much on growth, but we need to focus on health. If you are healthy, how many of you know you're going to grow healthy? Like I said, growing. Anybody got weeds in your yard? Are they growing? And they're choking out the other plants and overtaking everything. So just because growth is happening, don't assume that that is health. And I believe that growth can be measured in many ways. Here's, here's the thing. Here's the mistake sometimes we make. We think that if God is going to call us to use us for something, we have this idea, well, it should be easy and there shouldn't be a cost. Yeah, yeah I like to laugh there, right? How many of you know that's not biblical? I mean, look at Esther's life. She could have been killed for approaching the king. She could have been killed. Esther's moment could have cost her her life. And and, and we think, oh, well, you know what? I'm feeling a little resistance to this, so it must not be God's will. Oh, I'm going to step out and do this. And it's like, you know, of course you're going to face resistance. How many of you know we have an enemy? He He does not want you to do these things. 
He's going to resist you every step of the way so that you don't fulfill God. So just because you face resistance, don't think, oh, it must not be God's will. If it's God's will, then the door will just swing open and I'll just waltz through and great things will happen. All right, God may open the door, but how many of you know there's still an enemy that's trying to keep you out? There is a cost, and that's number three. We have to understand there is a cost to do the things that God's called us. It, you, hear, you hear God's voice, you feel this nudge, and you have to ask yourself this question, what's it going to cost? Right? If you see, like, if you're shopping and you see a shirt or something that you want, uh, what's one of the, oh, man, I really like that shirt. What's the first thing that you do? Look at the price tag, right? What's this going to cost me? Am I going to do that, you know? Listen, if you get called to go to the mission field, uh, oh, I feel like God's calling me to the mission field. You better slow down and think about what that's going to cost you. Right? You're going to leave the comfort of the United States of America, especially if he caused you some third world country. Oh, man, I'm going to miss uh, air conditioning. That's first on my list. <laughs> right? Uh, uh, I'm going to miss, uh, you know, the convenience of going to the store and getting whatever I want. You know, in some places you don't have that opportunity. So you've got to think, what is the cost there? Um, how about if God's telling you to tell a friend about Jesus? And you're like, oh, no, there's a cost to that, Right? That friend may think, oh, man, you're a religious nut. I don't want to talk to you ever again. Right? I don't, I don't want to go around you. You're just one of those weirdos, right? Uh, that's a cost that is there. Maybe God tells you to give in a special offering. You're like, what's the cost? Because if you give here, how many of you know we all only have so much dollars, right? So if I give something here, what's, what am I going to have to give up? Right? A trip to Starbucks? I know that hurts for some people, right? What is it going to cost me? If God's telling you to serve somewhere in the church, what is the cost? The cost may be I have to get here a little earlier. Uh, I may have to do more. Whatever it is, for Esther, it, cost her, it could have cost her her life. So once you determine the cost, think about it. You're looking at that shirt. You see the price. The obvious next question is, is am I willing to pay that price? Anybody look at the price of something and you walk away, you're like, no, thank you. <laughs> often right especially today now but the reality is like when you're following christ you got to think okay there's a cost i understand what the cost is am i willing to pay it am i willing to pay that you know you know what god is telling you you know what the cost is but listen are you willing to pay the price of obedience there's a price to obedience esther realized it and she said yes i'm willing to pay that price i'm willing to do that the cost of saving her people was important. Look what it says in verse 16. He said, go, she says, go and gather all the Jews of Susa. Fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go to end to see the king. And that's some powerful words there. If I must die, I must die. If it happens, it happens. I mean, what a statement. Esther considered the cost of saving her people, and she says, I'm willing to pay it. I'm willing to pay that price. I mean, think about that. She was willing to die for that, that and she had to get there. And, and it reminded me of, uh, uh, and I heard this story years ago, but uh, in the 1800s and early 1900s, there were groups of missionaries that were called one-way missionaries. How many, anybody ever heard of them? They went one way, right? When they were to embark on a mission field, they wouldn't take any suitcases. They would pack all their belongings in a coffin. I mean, that's optimistic, right? 
They, uh, they put it all in there, and basically they're saying, you know what, I am going to this country, and whether I die sooner or later in life, I'm, I'm committed. I'm going there for the long haul. And I think that's a, a good example of that was a man by the name of Pete Milne. He was, he, let me just read this because I, I wrote it. Here's a picture of him right here, right here in the middle. And uh, let me just read this story. He said, uh, he selected as his mission field a tribe of headhunters in the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific off Australia's coast. And many missionaries had gone there before him attempting to share Jesus. And guess what? They went to headhunters. A lot of them lost their head. They all got killed. So Milne had no guarantee that that wouldn't be true of him. He thought, well, maybe I'll die. I'm bringing my uh, coffin just in case. He wasn't uh, deterred. But what happened to him, God used him and he spent over 50 years in that island witnessing to the tribesmen about Jesus. When he died of natural causes, the tribe buried him in a grave. And it said this, when he came, there was no light. But when he left, there was no darkness. Amen. Isn't that powerful? That one way, he understood the implication of the call to take up your cross and follow me. It, it was like this call to give up fear, give up comfort, give up certainly and security to follow me. And, and I think about that sometimes now and it's like, oh, what is it going to cost me to, uh, to follow Christ? How many of you know sometimes we can't even make it to church, right? Because it's like, oh, I'm kind of tired today. Uh, I'll just sleep in. Maybe I'll go next week. And, uh, you know, if, if I have the time, oh, I can't do that. You know what? I serve my time there. How many of you know we live in a very comfy life as believers now? We're not willing to hardly sacrifice anything. Oh, you know what? It's raining outside. I don't know if I can make it today. When I think of the sacrifice that so many other people, when I think of the sacrifice Christ made, it's like, what have I really given up? What have I really given up? I believe that this man, Peter, he seized his moment. He was willing to pay the price. But let me tell you, he has a whole harvest. When I think about the lights that go on, 50 years of faithful service, can you imagine it would light up all over the place? I want at the end of my life, I don't want to be like, you know what? Oh, you've got three lights that are so beautiful. Let me find it. That's my life right there, just my three lights, right? No, I want, I want my life to have an effect that goes way beyond me, amen? Amen. When it comes to being obedient to Christ, the question shouldn't be, am I willing to pay the price to be obedient? How many of you know it should be, am I willing to pay the price of not being obedient? Think about that. If you choose to be obedient, no doubt there's going to be a cost, but if you choose to not be obedient, can I tell you the cost is even higher? The cost is even higher. Regardless of your decision, there's going to be a cost. But I tell you, with the cost with Christ, if you're willing to pay that, there's always a reward. There is no reward for the cost of disobedience. Well, there's, there's a reward, but I don't know if I would call it a reward. There's a consequences, right? Oh, why didn't I do that? Why didn't I raise my kids in the church? Why didn't I do that? Why, didn't, you know, why did I keep them away for so long? Let me tell you, that cost is going to come due someday. And you're going to be like, oh man, I wish I would have paid that price. I wish I would have paid that price. Amen? Regardless of your decision, let me say, Esther was willing to pay it. She was, uh, uh, but she also believed in the power of prayer, right? It wasn't like, okay, I'll do it. Uh, what did it say? It said, okay, well, I'm going to do it, but I want all of you guys to fast. I want us to pray for three days before I go to the king. So we pick up the story. 
chapter 5, verse 1. On the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes and entered the inner court of the palace just across from the king's hall. Can you imagine the anxiety that's in her heart at this point? Like, okay, I've been fasting, I've been praying. Is this the end? Is this, am I gonna, if he doesn't hold up his scepter, I'm dead. What's going to happen? And it says the king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. And when he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her, held out the gold scepter to her. Probably a huge sigh of relief happened at that moment. Like, ah, all of my fears were for nothing, right? And so Esther approached, touched the end of the scepter, and, and, and we know kind of the end of the story. She had the two banquets, uh, the plan. He couldn't overturn his ruling of the kill, Jews being killed, but he did issue another decree that the Jews could defend themselves, and there was a huge victory that happened. Esther saved her people. She saved Mordecai. Haman, he got what he deserved. And if you read on in the story, not only him, but his ten sons died as a result of that, but because she took that moment and was obedient, even in the face of fear, God used her in mighty ways. So I want to take a moment and look back at Mordecai's message a little closer. I kind of skipped over this part on purpose, but I feel like it's something that we really need to address. In verse 14, he says, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief from the Jews will arise from some other place. So Mordecai is saying, listen, if you don't make this moment your moment, if you miss it, God is still going to bring deliverance. And that's what he's saying. God will find another way to save his people. It may seem like all of this depends on you, but if you refuse, God is still going to accomplish his person and uh, his purpose. And I believe that. He, uh, he believed that the Jews would have been saved regardless if Esther took action. And, and I got to say, that was where his belief is. I want to say I'm not 100% sure that I agree with that. Why is that? You know, one thing I do know is that if Esther didn't do it and somebody else did it, guess what? We wouldn't be talking about Esther right now. Right? We may be talking about some other book that God used to bring deliverance. And Esther may have been in that, but as an example... It would have been like, don't be like Esther who rose and got in a place of protection and forgot about everybody else. That's what I would be preaching. But here's the thing. I believe God is calling you to fulfill his plan for his life, his plan for your life. Everything hinges on you and I saying yes to his plan and his purposes. It, it really does. And, and let me address, in a large sense, God's will is going to happen regardless of what we do. How many of you know there is going to be a day that the trumpet sound will call and, and, and the dead in Christ will rise. Those of us who are left behind will meet him in the crowd. It doesn't matter what you and I do. That day is going to happen. It, it does matter what you do on which direction you're going to go, right? So, but on a much smaller scale, that's the big picture. God's plan is going to happen regardless. On a smaller scale, listen, if we say no to some of those moments that God puts in our life, and he's telling us to do that, I want to tell you, there's no guarantee that somebody else is going to step in. We can't just rely on the, uh, the, the, the excuse or opt out and say, well, you know what, I'm not going to do it, but God will raise somebody else up. God will put somebody else to do that. The fact is, there are a lot of people and a lot of opportunities of people that have fallen through the cracks because people have relied on somebody else. Ah, somebody else will do it. Another person will do it. Can I say, if there was always somebody else that will do it, how many of you know there wouldn't be a need in any church ever? Right? 
There's not always a somebody else. I want to tell you guys a little story, and I've got four people here that I want to talk about. Maybe you've heard this story. It's a story about everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. And they're all up there. They're everywhere around us, so uh, let me read it. It says, there was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought, eh, anybody can do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what everybody could have done. Did you guys follow that? Isn't that kind of how life is right now? The person that you encounter and you feel like God is nudging you to speak to them and encourage them, and you're like, ah, oh, God will send somebody else, right? God will send anybody else. But guess what? You may be the last roadblock before they say, I'm, I'm ending it all. You may be the last person there. That person maybe you give a ride to church, invite, pray with, listen to. You may be the only one that is obedient. Maybe God did send other people, but they all said, nah, somebody else will do it. Somebody else. And it ends up you're the only last somebody that God can speak to. And you're like, nah, somebody else will do it. Listen, there's not always an endless supply of people to do what God has called you and I to do. Does that make sense? If nobody, I just want to say, if nobody invited me to church as a teenager, if nobody invited me to that memorial concert, I can't guarantee that I'd even be here today. Oh, somebody else would have invited you. I don't know if that's true. You can't guarantee that, right? The question we have to answer, am I going to keep looking for somebody else, anybody else, or will I be like Esther and say, you know what, I'm going to do what God's called I'm going to step in. I, it may be small, but I'm going to do it. Listen, I don't want to have a lifetime of regrets and missed opportunities. Right? I, I, no li- I don't want to get to the end of my life and it look like the first part of my string. <laughs> that figures that it would light up like that, right? Man, I had a good point right there, right? Anyway, you guys get the point. I don't want to get there and like, uh, what did you do? You dis- I mean, you might get into heaven. How many of you know you don't get into heaven by your good works? You're not getting into heaven because you did the right thing at the right time. It was all, uh, getting into heaven is a free gift, right? We get in because God loves us. We accept the blood of Christ. So you may get into heaven, but you may get up there and realize, I've got nothing else there. I've done nothing for anybody else. I've not served. I haven't heard God. I've not spoke to anybody. Uh, listen, God's got plans for you and I. Amen? God is calling you and I to bigger things. There's always a cost. And, and I just want to say this. I, I think I said it a minute ago that uh, uh, all of us have missed opportunities. We all do. And the enemy would like to throw that in your face. Oh, you missed that opportunity. Oh, look where you dropped the ball here. Oh, look, well, you didn't do this. He loves to throw that, but I want to tell you that, that, that we are called, don't miss your moments. Oh, I think I have that here somewhere. Don't miss your moment. Because I do believe this, that God is constantly creating moments in our life. Yes, you might have missed some moments, but it's like, okay, God, I'm sorry. You know, repent of that, move on, and say, God, I don't want to miss any moments from this point forward. Now, here's the reality. You're probably still going to miss some moments. But make it your goal to say, God, I want to begin to walk in instant, instant obedience. I want to seize those moments. I don't want to let them go by. Like I said, I believe that God is calling us as a church to greater things, right? How many of you believe that? Yeah. 
Do you think as a church that we're just, oh yeah, we're just going to be us few and no more? No, God put us here in Cameron Park, El Dorado County for a reason that is bigger than even where we're at right now, right? To make a difference. So that's going to call mean that all of us step up to do what God's called us to do. I mean, we stepped out and registered to go to the fair. And, and you know what? By faith, we were saying, we're going to have enough people to work that booth. Uh, we already realized, we haven't put our name, well, we'll, we'll fill in whatever gaps that are there, uh, but I'll tell you what, you may be the right person at the right time for somebody that may come up at that moment, and you are the one that needs to share with them. You're like, well, anybody could. Well, yes, anybody could, but there may be a connection that you have that God has you there at that purpose. It's not random accident that that stuff happens. So and you're like, oh, well, I'm not young, I'm not old, I'm not this, I'm not that, I don't, have a, I don't have the Bible memorized. Well, does anybody have the Bible memorized? I mean, I can play a good, mean game of, of, of Bible, what is that, trivia, but there's still answers I don't know. So I don't have it all figured out. You don't have to. All you got to do is love people. Shine the light of Christ. That may be a big moment for somebody coming up at this fair, amen? That's my challenge. Don't miss your moments. Realize you may have a moment today. You may go out to eat. You have a moment there. Whatever it is, take advantage of those things. Amen? I want to close with this because uh, one of the uh, worst moments that we can miss is responding to his call to come to us. How many have realized that's the most important moment ever? His call to surrender our life to him. And I want to give you a verse out of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, now since we are God's co-workers, we beg you to not take God's marvelous grace for granted. How many of you know we do that? Oh, God will forgive me. Oh, God will forgive me. That's God's grace. He doesn't have to, but he will. But it says like that, don't take it for granted, allowing it to have no effect on your life. Wow. For he says, I listened to you at the time of my favor, and the day when you needed salvation, I came to your aid. He says, so can't you see, now is the time to respond to his favor. Now is the day of salvation. Listen, I, I want you to know, you may miss a lot of other moments, but if you miss this moment, guess what? You miss heaven. If you've not surrendered your life to him, or maybe you have, maybe you've surrendered your life to him before, but it's like you still, you still been, let me, let me back up that verse right there. You're allowing it to have no effect on your life. Oh, yeah, I believe in a God. Oh, yeah, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. But if there's, there's no effect, can I tell you, if there's no effect, did you really accept him? Or did you just mentally? I know I've shared this with you before. A lot of people are going to miss heaven by, what was it, 18 inches? It went into their head, but it never made it here. Right? We have to believe in our heart. That's what it says in Romans. Believe with your heart confess with your mouth not believe with your head and confess with your mouth it's kind of like okay god i believe that you are my savior i believe that you died on the cross and that you really are the only way to heaven you really are the only way don't let me take it for granted lord i want you to come in my life and so whether whether you've prayed that before and said that or uh, maybe you're here today and you're like you know what i i, I want to make a, a fresh start with him can I have everybody close their eyes and bow their heads? I do believe that today is the day. Make that fresh start with him.
And if you're here today, I'm just going to just say, just raise your hand and then put it back down. Just say, Pastor, I want to make that as either a first-time commitment or a recommitment to him. Just put your hand up and put it back down. Thank you, Lord. I see that. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. I see your hands. Thank you, Lord. Don't you think God loves us? Lord, I thank you that you care about us. So, Lord, today in this moment, Lord, we had several people, Lord God, maybe some people online that just want to say, Lord, I want to make a fresh start with you today. I want to commit my life to you and to your ways, oh God. I don't want this moment to pass me. This is my moment. So if that's you and you raise your hand, maybe you didn't raise your hand. How many of you know it doesn't matter if I see it because God's the one that sees it. Can we all just repeat this prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin that I don't have to pay for my own wrong. It's already done. And I receive you, Jesus, as my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God wants to do a work in your life. And let me tell you, today could be that day that only leads to a whole bunch of that, right? Doesn't matter what age you are, God can use you all the days of your life. Am I right? I've always said this, that as long as we're on this side of heaven, God still has something for us, right? You may retire from work, but there's no retiring in the kingdom, amen? Amen? Amen. Lord, we just thank you today. Lord, as we just commit this time to you, Lord, as we go out this day, Lord God, let us not miss the moments that come. Lord, help us to begin to walk in immediate obedience to the things that you've called us to do. Lord, we want to be like an Esther. Lord God, not afraid of what effect it may have on our life, but boldly declaring, Lord God, you created us for this time, for this place, for this purpose. Lord, and we just we choose to live our life for you. Let us be that light shining in a dark world, Lord God. Lord, more than ever before, this world needs to see the light and the love of Jesus, Lord God. Let us show what love looks like. Lord, shine through us what love looks like, Lord God. Father, in our lives, and our community, Lord God. And we just thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, you guys be blessed.